Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 18, uh, calling it Domination and Family Ties edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. I'm Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, man? Yeah, I'm doing great, Phil. Um, got a lot to talk about all the way from Spain all the way down to Daytona, so it's um, going to be interesting stuff here. Yeah, absolutely. We got That's part of what makes us the GSP a one-stop shop you can go and get all the different racing news and one shot and uh, you'll get different perspectives from the two of us we're going to go over the spanish grand prix lewis hamilton domination and uh other kinds of things that went on really was wasn't all that dramatic of a race uh, which isn't shocking because catalonia is one of the worst circuits they go to on the calendar uh, we'll talk about some of the stuff going on with Ferrari and other things that went on during that race. We'll kind of do a little bit of a snapshot of the Indy 500 because we're going to be doing the Indy 500 preview show with Spencer Neff uh, later this week, and it'll be out just in time, hopefully, for before the Indianapolis 500, uh, which will be this Sunday. We'll go and talk about qualifying, and is it Marco's year? because they have said that for the last 15 years. Um, NASCAR ran at Daytona with all their major series at the road course, most commonly known at the Rolex 24, but they ran all four series, had Clyde win the Cup Series race, you had Gumby, Sindrick, Xfinity, and some of the bullshit that happened in that deal that I'm probably going to go off on. the Sheldon Creed wins the truck series race and drops an S-bomb on on live television, which is great. It just reminds me of Robbie Gordon more. And then uh, the ARCA race, which we'll kind of go over briefly. Michael Self uh, goes and wins in the wet, uh, wet-dry race against Ty Gibbs and solidifies his points lead and likely ARCA series championship. We'll go into the roundup, which will take in all over the world. Uh, races from last week, and uh, including Austria with MotoGP, where there was huge wrecks, and somehow or another nobody got seriously injured, which, you know, that's just a blessing. And then kind of go briefly hit on some of the racing that will be going on that isn't what we mentioned earlier, and uh, preview the NASCAR quadruple header at Dover, and uh, whatever else that comes to our minds here on the GSP. So let's start with F1. There wasn't a whole heck of a lot there. Uh, If you're not a Lewis Hamilton fan, you probably did not enjoy the Spanish Grand Prix. If you are a Lewis Hamilton fan, like me, uh, you didn't really mind the Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, Frankly, he, he was one fastest lap away from his tying the great Jim Clark with eight grand slams, uh, which includes what is the win, the pole, fastest lap, and uh, I'm forgetting the fourth thing. I think he won all the practices, too, or something. I think that's what it is. He pulled fastest lap the and led every lap. That's what it is, actually. He led every lap, and he, he, he went and got the pole, and won the race, but he didn't get the fastest lap. So uh, what were your thoughts of Lewis Hamilton going and uh, extending his points lead, Josh, 
uh, on Sunday at the Spanish Grand Prix. Well, yeah, it was just pure domination, and really it was Mercedes getting the Grand Slam. You think about it because uh, Botas also got the fastest lap, but yep. uh, it just you know Lewis Hamilton's just going out and. It looks like he's on he's on pace to probably set all the uh, remaining records or remaining significant records in Formula One this year, probably even in this uh, shortened season. And and you know he's going to continue to dominate. It looks like uh, we'll see how it continues to go. Um, but it's going to get harder for uh, for Max Verstappen to close the gap. Um, he's losing ground, even though he had finished on second on the podium, and uh, Botas is falling behind. And it um, looks like, uh, even though he's won this year and everything, and he's the teammate, it looks like he's falling further and behind. And and looks like it's just gonna, if anything, maybe it'll be, um, you know, maybe Verstappen can mount up a challenge if something happens to Lewis. But it looks like from here on out, it's just gonna be uh, Lewis Hamilton's year. Yeah, the, right now you look at the stats, his average start is 1.8, his average finish 1.7. He's led 261 laps out of the 382 so far in the first six races. Uh, compare that to Max Verstappen, who's only led 30, and Valtteri Bottas, who's in third, who's led 91. They're the only three drivers that have led. They are head and shoulders above, as Josh said. Uh, above everybody else, Max Verstappen's 37 points behind Lewis with a win. Valtteri Bottas 43 points behind with a win. The British the British Grand Prix tire failure basically derailed him, uh, lost him a ton of points. Max Verstappen's DNF at the Austrian Grand Prix to open the season is crucial because right now. Lewis is in a spot. I mean, he's trying to get to 91. He tied the all-time record or broke the all-time record for podiums with Michael Schumacher. And uh, Michael Schumacher's win record is right on deck uh, for for Lewis Hamilton to take. Uh, and, and with races that are coming up, he's at 88 wins now. He needs four more wins to break the record with with Michael Schumacher for most wins ever in the history of Formula One. Um, he's polls was done. That's been done for a long time. He passed that, I think, a couple of years ago. Uh, that was 65, I believe, was Michael's number, which passed Senna's 51. And then uh, podiums are there, and then it's about getting number seven and putting himself in position to get number eight next year. Um, and, and I, you can't, you can't go and, and pass over Red Bull's ability to put a decent car out there, albeit one car. They're, they're going to be there. They're going to be stubborn. I don't see them being able to compete on straight pace. It was proven on Sunday in the hot conditions they weren't able to, um, because they had the hardest compounds I think they could use, so that also helped. Uh, Spa and, and Monza might be more difficult for them for the Red Bull and Max Verstappen, but after that, they're going to be going to a lot of tight, twisty circuits. They'll be going to, uh, what do you call, um, not Miss, is Misano, I think, or 
in terms of they'll be going yeah or they'll be going to Sochi, which is a dump, but Mercedes has been dominant there. They'll be going to Mugello. So Mugello, they'll be going to Sochi, which is a dump. Nürburgring, which is a tight track, which definitely would suit the Red Bull. Portimao, which is fast and twisty, which is kind of a wash. Imola, which I think would be an okay track for the the, the Red Bull as well. And then it sounds like they'll be going to Turkey. Uh, again, which will be cool because it's a great circuit, great the, multiple passing zones there. Uh, I forget what else they said in terms of formula of tracks that they might be going to, but uh, Valtteri Bottas and and we, we'll go into more detail here, Josh. Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen, they are going to be racing for this runner-up spot for the rest of the year. They're equal in wins, basically equal in terms of you know, points, albeit, you know, six points, same amount of podiums. Uh, the average finish for Stoppins DNF has definitely made it a little worse. But, you know, you, you look at this, it's who do you look for as we go on through the rest of the season to be that guy, to be the most likely contender between these two? And... And, uh, and why? <laughs> um, I think I would have to go with probably uh, Valtteri Botas just because I think while uh, Red Bull has maybe more incentive to try to prove themselves, and I think I think uh, Max is a better driver overall. Um, I think it's hard to argue against the pace of the Mercedes this year, um, especially even even um, if he's the you know second driver to Lewis Hamilton. I you know I think on a good day the Mercedes well is always going to outrun the uh, Red Bull uh, for this year at least. Um, and given some of the tracks coming up, yeah, we have Spa, we have Monza, both high speed. Uh, circuits that they go to and even some of the other tracks like uh even though they're you know tight and twisty and maybe more require more finesse uh i think i think um valtteri botas will probably just have a better handling race car overall and you have to also question or um consider uh max for as a as a young driver he's likely to be more aggressive in certain situations and so you know sometimes with an aggressive driver, you might make more mistakes, um, and then there are other times where you're going to make thrilling and exciting moves on the racetrack, and that's you know that's part of it. And I think um, Valerie Bodas probably just be more a little bit more conservative, I think, as a as a driver, and he maybe won't put himself into um, those kind of situations. And so you know, I think overall he'll probably just um, probably beat. Max Verstappen, um, I don't know how large that margin will be, but it'll probably be by at least maybe some some amount, maybe like uh, 20 points or something by the end of the season, but we'll see. Yeah, I'll go and take the other side of that, and it's not because I like Max Verstappen. Quite frankly, I, I can't stand him because he seems like a douche, and he has that freaking fish face. And he's a and he whines like a little bitch, but the fact of the matter is the guy can drive, and um, he has the team behind him. And it's obvious that Red Bull really only focuses on one driver. It's always been the case. 
Uh, it's more obvious in recent years. But fundamentally, Red Bull, they want to put themselves in a, in a place where even going into 2021, that they have some semblance of an opportunity uh, to try and make some some inroads while looking at the 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 notion of 2022 in a new car which you know Renault is going to already they're already starting to look at it you know I think McLaren kind of is in between Ferrari definitely and we're going to talk about that because we're going to talk about the midfield uh some of these teams are already going to start committing to that new uh, rules package, even though it, it isn't going to be until the 2022 year, though there is going to be uh, this cost cap implemented here um, in uh, 2021. Yeah, the other racetrack that they're looking at to add along with the Turkish, uh, the Turkey, uh, Turkish Grand Prix is also Hareth, former um, circuit F1 had. Uh, ran uh, most famously the 1997 World Championship finale where Michael Schumacher tried to crash uh, Jacques Villeneuve off the track. Um, Eddie Irvine tried to hold up at uh, Jacques Villeneuve in qualifying. Uh, it was a dramatic event which saw Jacques Villeneuve win his World Championship for Renault. I mean for, for Williams Renault. Uh, that was the last time I think they ran it at Hareth was 97. Uh, uh, my, what is it? Senna and, and Mansell had a f- photo finish in 1986 there. It's a pretty good circuit. It's a little tighter. Uh, that will be kind of a more of a even playing field across the board uh, for teams. So I think those are two circuits that if they add them, I think would be great for this world championship. Now, speaking of that and going across the board, I, one thing that pissed me off, I mean, Lance Stroll pisses me off in general because he's a, he's a tool and his dad's a billionaire. And that's the reason, a a main reason why he's there. Um, yeah, he's won world, he's won championships and sure. I mean, granted it takes talent and ability to do it, but it doesn't hurt that your dad's a billionaire and that you don't have any humbleness. And that's the biggest problem with him and the fact he's, he kind of just looks like a guy who should get rear-ended. Um, that rem- it goes into the results and it goes into what happened to his teammate Sergio Perez returning from COVID-19, testing positive, having the symptoms mild, being able to come back. He had qualified fourth, was running fourth. They gave a bogus blue flag penalty. Uh, where he didn't move over fast enough for Lewis, which when they showed the replay, there was nothing there that was egregious by Sergio Perez, which cost him the fourth position, gave Lance Stroll fourth, which uh, is the same garbage they were trying to do the week before. They did the week before with Nico Hulkenberg at, uh, at Silverstone, and even they couldn't do that right because Stroll couldn't hold off uh, I forget who the hell it was, but what, what do you what did you take away from that penalty? But also the midfield battle where uh, you know Carlos signs he finished sixth for for McLaren at home, 
Alexander Albon in eighth. Of course, he's Red Bull, so there's some you know drama going on there between him and Gasly. Are they going to switch him? Lando Norris finished tenth. Um, Danny Daniel Ricardo had a brutal weekend. Uh, started thirteenth, only finished eleventh. Esteban Ocon started fifteenth, only finished thirteenth. So it was a bad weekend for Renault. What did you take away in terms of midfield uh, on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think really um, that was probably the highlight of the race, if there was any highlight, right? Uh, there is, you know, we had the battle between uh, Vettel and uh, I think Carlos Sainz or somebody like I think with, you know, around uh, 20 laps ago, there was a three-car uh, battle with, I think, uh, Alex Albon, uh uh, Perez and then uh, Esteban Ocon, like yeah. without around um, like lap 35 or something, which I thought was pretty interesting. That was uh, on the highlights, and um, it was a good good three car battle. It was going to involve uh, yeah, I think uh, not Gasly, but um, uh, I think Kvyat as well. But it was an interesting battle overall with the the midfield guys and and yeah, like it was good good finish for uh, Carlos Sainz and then. Of course, Vettel in seventh, which I think at this point you kind of have to consider uh, Ferrari to be a midfield car now um, with the pace that they have and the performance they've shown this season. And then Alex Albon finishing eighth, um, which solid for him. Um, but of course, you know, there's always the pressure being in, in Red Bull and and um, obviously that may not be good enough for that team um, at the end of the year. But uh, who knows, uh, especially finishing a lap down too. But um, is it? interesting battle and in, uh between all those guys i i think you're gonna see um throughout the season I, um it's just gonna be i think um that group of cars and drivers just trading places every week for the most part um and you know with uh racing point you know they continue to draw controversy with uh, their brake ducts and the legality of, of 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 those brake ducts and whether whether or not that's uh you know should be should be a thing or not you know it's a different discussion but clearly it's helping them this year um and it should be uh um you know commended for Perez to uh, finish that well coming off of you know not having been driven for a couple weeks and you know, he was able to come back and finish in fifth position after starting um, fourth and dropping back. Um, that was a good good finish for him. And then, you know, Stroll um, just continues to carry the flag for that team and, and probably will as long as he's driving for them. But, you know, I think really besides uh, Lewis Hamilton dominating the series this year and um, seeing if um, they – the series regulates against Mercedes and Red Bull trying to catch up. I think the midfield battle is probably going to be the most compelling thing you'll see this year in Formula One. Yeah, absolutely. The and it, and you never know from week to week. I mean, Tracing Point is going to be the more than likely lead team, but I was I just checked on the 70th anniversary Grand Prix it was Albon that went and passed both racing points uh, on on their day the the tracing points are going to be the lead lead midfield team but mclaren's going to have their day renault can have their day even alpha tauri can do it so those are and then of course ferrari as you mentioned because 
they don't even want to give Sebastian Vettel the help he needs to go and, and do what he needs to do. And he's a four-time world champion. He's got the third most wins in the history of Formula One. And they're treating him like garbage on the way out. It's got all the, it's got all the feelings and signs of what uh, happened to Alan Prost when I think he called the car. A, so he had some sort of insult for the car and how bad it was, and he got fired. Um, I'm I'm waiting to see how this is going to go. It looks like they're going to keep him, but the way they're treating him, the way they're managing him. He could have probably gotten a sixth place finish. I don't think he would have gotten a fifth or we would have been there with the tracing points. But they didn't give him an opportunity to get the best finish he possibly could have. Um, and and it's getting to be pretty pathetic, especially when you consider, you know, Charles Eclair basically rage quit um, in in the race. Uh, had some sort of engine electric pro- electronics problem, parked it out of the the Mickey Mouse chicane and just before pit entrance and the thing wouldn't start or wasn't running. Then next thing you know, he's like, Oh, it's running again. Ferrari let him drive around for two laps without his belts on. Then he comes into the pits and they eventually retire the car. Um, yes, he's had a couple of podium finishes of course, which has been pretty amazing considering how bad the car is, but you know, it's Charlie Claire. Uh, you're going to have, the, with the good, you're going to get the bad. Um, Ferrari is definitely a mess. And uh, they're not, and going to Monza and going to Mugello is going to be pretty sad uh, for the Tifosi uh, to see the Ferraris getting beat by tracing points and possibly Alpha Tauris which it isn't out of the realm because Gasly has been running relatively well this year. Um, I mean, and did did that, that battle between him and Albon to see who's going to have their soul taken out by, by um, Helmut Marco and Franz toast and all of them is just thankless. It's pathetic. And since Sergio Perez, it sounds like is going to be replaced by Vettel. uh, I said it on um, George, George's show. Uh, George Housen, who was on the show last week, the F1 Grid Talk podcast, give them a listen. They're all all over wherever you can listen to podcasts. Great show. Uh, the most recent, I was on the most recent episode. Uh, you could see it on YouTube. You'll appreciate seeing it on YouTube. Just take my word for it. Um, the the I say they signed Sergio Perez. If you really want to get both Red Bulls to be competitive and possibly get towards Mercedes, you sign a veteran that's an outsider to get you over the top. And if you do that, then you have a chance of actually making something happen. The fact is, Sebastian Vettel was sponsored by Red Bull, but he was a BMW junior. Max Verstappen was supposed to be a Mercedes junior driver, and they hired him because they could put him in at 16 years old or whatever the hell he was. You know, that's that's what happened there. None of this cultivating talent. They they cultivated Daniel Ricardo. Okay. You know, and then they've kind of given they built talent that actually in other series like Jean Eric Verne and you know, Scott Speed and they've done things outside of Formula One. But there really hasn't been an actual Red Bull developed driver that's actually done anything. 
or done and won the world championship or been there. Um, so we will see what goes on with that. Uh, we'll go into the Indianapolis 500 briefly. We will be doing the uh, Indianapolis 500 preview full, full on deal. It'll be after carb day. We'll have Spencer Neffon, who has his blog out. Uh, he just uh, recently put it up there on WordPress. I, you know, I'll go and hit that up here in a second, let you know what the we- website is for that, but or web address for that. But um, Marco Andretti holding on and winning pole. Uh, what did you you think of the Fast Nine, Josh? Yeah, it was an interesting Fast Nine. It was mostly all Hondas except for Rina's VK, but. I didn't think uh, Marco was going to pull off the pull. I wasn't sure that it would happen because it wasn't looking good for Andretti in the Fast 9. All their cars qualified lower than what they expected to be based on their pace from the first day on Saturday and from practice all week. And I thought maybe it would be Scott Dixon on the pole, but it turns out Marco Andretti was able to uh, just barely nick uh, the pole away from Scott Dixon, and he'll be starting on the pole this year. Uh, and maybe it, it really is this year. We'll have to see. And it might it might actually be true, given that it seems like with uh, the August heat and everything, and the aero screens might be affecting clean air um, for in traffic and all that. It might actually be a very much a handling type of race, and uh, Marco might actually be the guy. But we'll get into that later. Um, uh, I mean, Honda just has been very fast this whole week um, so far at Indy, and I think you'll continue to see that at least in terms of pure pace. Uh, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I thought there would be a Penske car in the, the Fast 9, but it turns out there wasn't any of them, and maybe they were sandbagging just to show that, uh, you know, there's no bias or anything with uh, Penske being the owner in that, but that's a conspiracy or whatever. But it was interesting to to see um, how that played out. But I was a little surprised that Rossi qualified in ninth. I thought that he would be a little bit higher, like maybe fourth or third, something in that range. Um, Palau, I didn't think he'd be in the the fast nine at all. I um, wasn't sure about um, just his team overall, but um, that's very good for him to be in the top five and. Uh, VK being in fourth, not really a surprise, even though he's a rookie, because we know that Ed Carpenter's car has uh, fast cars at Indianapolis, and you can always count on them making, or at least one of their cars making the fast nine. Um, But overall, I mean, um, besides that, I mean, you know, you saw your usual folks. I mean, it was always going to be a, um, they, most of the Andretti cars making it into the fast nine and, and placing wherever. And then, of course, um, the uh, Ray Hall car and Ganassi cars uh, making the fast line. So it's going to be an interesting lineup to see and um, very excited to see how it plays out. Definitely. You you got the second fastest average for the entire field in Indy 500 history here this year in a, in a, what is basically a truncated, deal three or four days of practice they had practice after the fast nine qualifying uh, where scott dixon tried to wipe almost wiped himself out but because he's scott dixon he didn't and uh saved that car 
And within less than an hour, they had repaired it and brought it back out for practice to show how great uh, cheap Ganassi racing is. Uh, that kind of is that, you know, basically just saying, yeah, that's the willpower double birds. Our guy can spin out. He's amazing. He made a rare mistake. We could still repair the car, get it back out there, do everything we have to do. That was something. And I thought he had gotten the pole, and it was it was there. I mean, he didn't have as good of a run, I think, as he wanted to. He had basically snuck up there, and we'll talk about it more on, on the preview. Again, episode 19 will be the Indy 500 preview. But I, I really thought he had gotten it, but good old Marco... The whole entire paddock was really happy. The vast majority of the paddock was happy for him. It's uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, symmetry and things going on with that. Um, you know, his grandfather, you know, lost it, and he said he hit the ceiling. And it's possible with Mario. Maybe it, I mean, considering that that McMansion he's in, but Marco Andretti, can he finally? get the Andretti curse? Can he end the Andretti curse? Can, you know, the the John Andretti being up above help the Andretti family go and finally win the Indy 500 again for the first time since 1969? Uh, it, it is definitely, the speed has been there for Marco. He has a different mentality. There's one thing you can rely on. He's going to try his best at Indy, and he's going to show up there. What he does the rest of the season is to be determined, but got to give credit to the man. He blocks most people on Twitter that anybody that says the littlest thing about him, including me. But fundamentally, dude went out there and put it on pole. You can't, and it was adverse conditions. You know, Renus VK getting a, a second row start as a rookie. You know, you consider a couple months ago, he hit the fence twice in his IndyCar debut at Texas to go out at in, at Indianapolis, which is a much more difficult racetrack. And it takes and it asks a lot more out of you as a driver to go and qualify fourth. Granted, you know, Ed Carpenter racing, but Ed Carpenter's 16th, Connor Daly's 18th. So it's not like the year before where... Ed Carpenter was was uh, on the front row. You know, Ed Jones was starting fourth. I think Spencer Piggott started third last year, whatever. It was like two, three, four for Ed Carpenter racing. And it wasn't the same way because Chevrolet was definitely behind. Uh, we'll get into it more in detail, Andretti. And I, was, I agree with you on Rossi. It, it reminded me of a couple of years ago when... They had everybody requalify on Sunday. Rossi was 10th, and he ended up having a nightmare qualifying run on Sunday, which which rendered him to the last row. And it allowed for great entertainment because he was starting on the last row. But if he had actually started up in 10th, where he had qualified on Saturday, don't know if that would have made a difference in uh, that 2018 Indy 500 when Will Power won. But uh, we will be talking about it on GSP with Spencer Neff uh, on, um, on, well, we're going to record it so that we can have it out on Saturday. So hopefully 
You guys can listen to it. Let us know what you think. Give us your thoughts, who you think is going to win and all that. Um, coming to Sunday for the Indianapolis 500. We're going to transition to the Daytona quadruple header. Uh, they had the uh, Daytona, what is it, the Go Bowling 235 at uh, on Sunday with good old Clyde wins another road course. I guess the initial takeaway is, uh, Josh, is uh, this, would you ever thought how many years ago back in 2018 before he ended up winning at Watkins Glen, would you ever thought it's Chase Elliott becoming the new road course king? And who do you consider, who do you compare him to in terms of the great NASCAR road racers? Who do you consider, what do you look at in his style? Who does it compare most two in your eyes uh that's a tough one to answer but you know i think prior to that i would not have considered chase elliott to be a a good road racer prior to that all um season that he had a couple years ago where he won at wasn't going last year and then this year at daytona but i mean before that like you know nobody would have thought chase elliott was a road course racer uh period I mean, you know he was just not never seemed like a road course guy i mean yeah he did win a couple of years ago before that at um mossport in the truck series but that was you know kind of a uh, seemed like a anomaly and you know one-time thing but uh, it's tough to say i mean i as far as road course guys i mean in nascar the names that kind of come to my mind uh initially are like Jeff Gordon, uh, Tony Stewart, guys like that. Um, I mean, I feel like, he, I mean, that that's, that'd be too much to say because he would have to also do well at Sonoma, and you know, hasn't doesn't quite have the record there yet, I guess. And and we'd have to wait a couple more years to see that type of dominance that those guys had. Uh, so I. It's it's really hard to say who he would be, but I would, as far as like NASCAR greats, I mean maybe somebody like like Earnhardt or somebody like that who, um, you know, he wasn't really well known for his road course racing, but he you know he was able to win a couple times and he had good performances and you know I I think he only did win one time on a road course at Sonoma in like '95 or '96, but he was still I mean, even at Watkins Glen, he he could win races there. So, you know, maybe maybe somebody like that, which is maybe giving Chase Elliott too much credit. But then again, you know, um, all of a sudden to see him have this kind of performance at a road course is quite astonishing, to be quite honest. Yeah, you you look at. His dad won in class at the Rolex 24 many, many years ago before he was like minus nine or eight or something when uh, Awesome Bill, and I think Awesome Bill was with the previous wife too at that point. Um, I would have never thought in a million years Clyde would become this like amazing road racer. He's a, He reminds me a lot of Jeff Gordon in his how precise he is and his his patience 
uh, it, it, there's there's just something about it, and it makes sense. He's driving Jeff's car, so and Jeff is his owner. Uh, he's going to be his owner once Fat Felon drops dead. Um, but the, to to win this race when they have no practice and dominate the way he's been dominating these races, he doesn't show it on ovals generally. But on these road courses, it's like a different level. It's the way, it's similar to what his dad was on the biggest tracks in in his heyday. You know, as long as the track was over two miles, Bill Elliott, the the Elliott family, that Coors car would would be up front and usually would be in contention to win uh, outside Earnhardt. You know, they're add a couple other people in there, you know, Krusty, Daryl, et cetera, et cetera. I think uh, Elliot reminds me a lot of, of Gordon. It reminds me a lot of Ricky Rudd in that Ricky Rudd was probably the most efficient and and uh, they, that, there's a reason why ESPN always put the foot cam in Ricky Rudd's car, because he made it look like it was like a dance, it was like poetry in motion when, when Ricky Rudd drove on a road course. And he could do it when he had to tape his eyes open, he could do it when he was fully healthy. It's part of what makes Ricky Rudd, Ricky Rudd. Um, but that's kind of, and it's an, it's interesting to me, I guess, thinking about it now, two Hendrick Motorsports drivers, um in in their time uh, in their in and they that's who I compare them to. Uh, it, it was definitely not the most interesting race. I don't know what you th- you thought about the race in general, Josh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. I'm going to go into the the results here. Go bowling 235. As a bowling person, I like that sort of thing. Chase Elliott, Cocaine Hamlin, Martin Truex, and his asshole. Uh, spotter um, Martin Truex probably screaming and whining Jim Johnson in the new paint scheme now it's white because he is white bread it makes sense Chris Busher and Roush getting a top five finish Clint Boyer um, not hurt from that dancing that he does in that um, mobile one video or mobile one commercial Kaz Grala Yes, Kaz Grala took the three car to a top 10 finish on a road course. The first time that's happened since the year 2000. Um, And it's also because he actually has talent. Um, William Byron 8th kind of solidifying and uh, uh, managing his points position. Pizza face after he ran over Bubba and uh, Alex Bowman. He finished ninth. Michael McDowell finished 10th. What, what do you think of the race? Because I think Scott Miller's been out and saying it was like an um, A-plus effort. Everything was great. It was amazing. He sounded like a certain um, scumbag liar. Well, in, in terms of the racing that you saw uh, on Sunday, what do you think of it in general? And do you believe that this is something that they should add? to the regular schedule instead of it just being for the clash, which it'll be next February. 
Well, I mean, it wasn't the race that I was expecting. I was, I mean, I was expecting it to be kind of like bowling where everybody's just all over the place. But, I mean, it it was solid uh, as far as the action um, goes because there there wasn't really like any like chaos or anything throughout the race. I mean, we had the uh, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex, and uh, another, I think, yeah, Hamlin talking about like before the race, like how they were going to approach the first turn and and not make everybody look like idiots and all that. So, um, you know, you, when you consider that, you know, they they didn't want to be stupid and and miss the corner like the Xfinity guys did uh, the day before. You know, you just just uh, it was it was going to be a um, fairly event uh, uneventful race from that. Uh, perspective and the fact that they didn't have a lot of uh, cautions of or anything like that um, shows just how professional the drivers actually are for the most part. Uh, but I mean, as far as adding the cars or adding the road course to the schedule as a regular race, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I I fully agree with that. I mean, I'm fine with. Uh, Watkins Glen and Sonoma um, I do think that they should find a different road course instead of the Charlotte Roval uh, I mean if they decide to sh- swap out the the Roval at Charlotte for the Daytona road course I might be okay with that but I would also be campaigning to remove the chicane on the dog leg at Daytona and and just let them go full send in the first turn and see how that goes I'd rather see that instead, but um, I'm not the decision maker there. Uh, but I mean, it, for the most part, it wasn't uh, like there wasn't a lot of crashing or anything until maybe the very end uh, of that of the whole deal. Um, and just just uh, shows how well they're they are at road courses and everything. But I'm I'm you know I don't think that they should add it to the regular season and it doesn't really deserve the hype that it does. I mean, I mean, if we're going to add it to a regular season schedule, maybe to the trucks or Xfinity, but I don't know about the, the cup series. Yeah. It's, it, I don't believe that I said this yesterday on, um, Clayton Caldwell, the talking in circles podcaster on uh, blog talk radio. Give them a listen. A uh, good friend. He's been on our show as well. And there's, I don't think that the Cup Series should go there. It was fine as what we had it, why we needed it for because of COVID. But leave it for the clash, and that's about it. Run it under the lights, make it cool, you know, in a condensed speed week. That would be nice. Other than that, if anything, run it for the trucks and the ARCA because they don't have very big schedules as it is. And honestly, I think in terms of the best action, those were the two best races. Uh, and so it, the the Cup Series race was boring. I think it also helped that they put way more downforce on the car. I think they put 550 downforce with the 750 horsepower package. So that's just kind of stupid. I think it was all, they were all worried about brake failure, which in the end, Kyle Busch did have brake failure, but he was the only one. Um, 
I think the only other thing that was a big fail was because they have these cars sealed off like they're in a tin can. J.J. Ailey almost died in a dang thing, and if they didn't have the lightning delay, I think there would have been other people falling out of their race cars. Um, the the I, that's that I think was a big thing. You you look at Kyle Busch; he was running up front. People are you wondering about him and what's going on. I said it yesterday. I believe this. He's we're we're what is it? Three this week is Dover. Next week, the following week's Daytona for the Coke Zero Four Hundred. It's going to probably be ninety degrees at night running that deal, which is going to be a wild card for sure. The following week is three weeks away is the Southern Five Hundred. I honestly feel like Kyle Busch is just going to go out there and win. He was up there for most of the night at the last Darlington race. He did send. Chase Elliott uh, into the grandstands, um, and and he got flipped off for then because of it. But fundamentally, those were two best cars that night. I think other than than Clint Boyer won both segments and then dropped like an anchor because he's Clint Boyer. I think he's going to go out there and win that race, and it'll be Kyle Busch. He, the guys won eight trillion races. He doesn't have to win for a little while. And I think he'll be able to win. Um, boy, I, I guess we'll go into that. You, you look at some of the people that struggled that are that have been up there. Kyle Busch, of course, had a nightmare. Even though he ran up front, he did lead. You got, you know, Blaney, brutal run. Uh, you know, we think about the uh, bubble was up there, top 20 all day, got wrecked. So then all the the morons and maggots got off on that. Eric Almirola was nowhere. He finished 24th. You know, Kevin Harvick was 17th. It might be his worst run he's had since pre-COVID. What were some of the people that surprised you in terms of how bad they ran uh, on Sunday as they go to Dover for a doubleheader. Yeah, I mean, I think the most surprising one was Kevin Harvick, especially because he did start on the pole and he was up there uh, in the top 10, in the top five for the first part of the race. And then like after, I, th- I think it was after they came back from the lightning delay or before that, the um, he got wrecked going into the horseshoe. Uh, the international horseshoe at Daytona yeah. And, yeah. and then that pretty much ruined his day after that. And then he was basically mired back all the way down in the thirties. And then it was, I guess it was actually probably a, a miracle in of itself that he was able to get back to 17th and maybe salvage an okay finish. Uh, I mean, Blaney finished on the last car or one of the last car in the lead lap. I mean, he's not really known for road course racing, although he did win that, uh, the first Charlotte Roval race a few years back. Um, but, I mean, shows th- that he's, you know, not really good at the end of the races. As as I've said before, uh, I mean, not really surprised that Kyle Busch ended up in the 30s. I mean, I was, I was hoping he'd finish second. I picked him to finish second. And if he did, I uh, might have won a lot of money, but. Uh, oh, here we go. Here we yeah. go. I'm no, sorry. We got Josh in his <laughs> betting, and he almost went and pulled another one off. No, right, no, no. So, so it's it was not a bet, but the um, the the finish line app where you you pick like a certain you pick a a driver from each uh 
like a tier, group yeah. of driver a tier and like i picked elliot i picked um joey logano um who actually i didn't i didn't get enough points with logano because logano finished ninth and and the best highest finisher from that group was clint boyer so i was three spots and kyle wish break failure from winning 25k let's put it that way <laughs> well there you go yeah as as we have said previously here on the gsp um i think there's a crystal ball that uh, Josh has. I mean, he's already a very sharp guy as it is in his actual job that he does out. And this is just for fun, but his betting prowess, I'm waiting for the freaking show that you're going to have where you're going to be like, it's going to be the infomercials at eight 30 in the morning on like the, whatever, if USA network still exists, I, but I, like you'll be on like the, the paramount channel, telling us how you could go and bet on parlays and this, that, and the other thing, you're going to make thousands of dollars when you're in your McMansion driving your freaking whatever. I don't know who your manufacturer is, like insert manufacturer's most amazing car because the the bets and the strategy and all that, and maybe I probably made a mistake inviting you into the <laughs> fantasy football league, but, you know, I I think you've been in my league before. And no, I'm not, that's the first oh, time. Okay. Okay, so yeah, that that'll be something we'll end up probably talking about because we'll probably have some more football here on the GSP. Uh, hopefully, God willing. I mean, we were talking about it off air. Um, in terms of fantasy football, we could talk about it. I don't know if about actual like performing of our favorite teams. At least on Josh's side, he will want to talk about it. But um, that'll be something we'll talk about. Maybe we'll try to get some of my. Uh, friends on here because a couple of them do podcasts themselves so we'll see um yeah the 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 kyle bush was up front and the break failures he was having i mean it was you know it's building this narrative and and you know nascar and you know nbc they want to build this narrative to make it seem like kyle bush is some sort of underdog He's not a fucking underdog. He's won fifty. He's won fifty-five cup races, whatever the hell he's won. The guy's won two championships. I mean, both of them you could question in terms of what the hell happened, uh, how he got them. But he's won two championships. The guy's a freaking wheel man. He's a dick, but he's a wheel man. He's gonna be fine. The notion that people have to be dramatic and all the stupid fans are going to freak out and lose their mind because the son of a bitch hasn't won a race. It's like the guy's won 57 races or whatever the hell it is. He's won 8 trillion races. Shut the fuck up. The guy's going to win a race. Relax. Dale Earnhardt didn't win a race for a whole entire year. Multiple times, at least twice off the top of my head, he, he didn't win a race in a year. And he's freaking God reincarnated. All the ones that certain follow a certain orange character probably went and they have Dale Earnhardt stuff and they got a gear shift next to their toilet to go and flush it. You know, you got you, Jeff Gordon went winless. You know, Tony Stewart had a basically a the bottom fallout in the middle of 2012 and won two races the rest of his career. Jimmy Johnson hasn't won in three years. So... You know, for those spoiled Kyle Busch fans expecting to win every week, he'll be fine. 
He's going to win here soon, and I think he'll be all right. Because the Gibbs cars have been up there. The freaking uh, Hamlin uh, took over second in points from Brad in terms of overall points. In terms of playoff points, he was going to be able to get ahead of Brad anyway and wins. But the the Gibbs cars are going to be there. Chris Bell went and sent Harvick there at the International Horseshoe, as Josh said. But you you go and look at it. Kevin Harvick's solid at Dover. I think he's going to be able to put himself in a position to lock up the uh, regular season points championship um, probably Saturday at Dover in the uh, first of two races there. Um let's see we could go into the xfinity going to the xfinity race and uh that was definitely a clusterfuck uh for me um the what was it the UNOH 188 at Daytona the fifth win in six races for Austin Gumby Sindrick, and based on certain things that went on, he has basically won the regular season points title too. Uh, what do you take away, Josh, from uh, Saturday and Austin Sindrick getting his name next to Sam Frickin' Ard as winning five out of six in the Xfinity series? Well, I mean, it's never surprised, really, when you think about it. I mean, Austin Sindrick is uh, always known as the road course guy. And, you know, now that the, the fact that he's got the regular season uh, points lead on stranglehold now, now he's 48 points ahead of Briscoe as it stands, uh, I think I think it's really just a matter of circumstance for him. Because when you look at the schedule and how it's played out, he benefited from road america and uh daytona road course being back to back uh he benefited from clean air in the in the qualifying draw at kentucky and then he was just good enough to finish second and then get the uh the win after they took it away from kyle bush so him being um in in first place in the point standings is really just a just him like having good fortune um I think Chase Briscoe will make a resurgence later in the season once it comes to the um, their uh, playoff chase um, in a couple months or next month. Um, so I think it'll still be a compelling battle once once that comes up. But I think for the most part, as long as um, he, he doesn't have any problems uh, these next couple races, I think you'll see Austin Cedric basically run away with uh, – the Xfinity uh, regular season title. I mean, there's still some wild cards. I mean, if you consider Daytona coming up, that's a wild card. Um, I think the um, either Bristol or or the Darlington uh, Xfinity race um, will be the final regular season race for the Xfinity race. That could series that could be a a wild card. I mean, even Dover, like if uh, a problem happens, it could. Um, go back to um, to Chase Briscoe being in contention for that regular season title, but 
I mean, it, here and out, I expect Austin Cindric to carry uh, the the series the rest of the way for um, the rest of this uh, regular season. But for the race itself, I mean, yeah, it was it was a, a total mess throughout. I mean, you know, we saw like we talked about the going to turn one, everybody missed the corner except for Brandon Jones and somebody else. That was basically the the whole race in of itself. Um, good good stuff for. Andy Lally coming in fifth uh, in in a really basically a uncompetitive car on on other race days. Uh, uh, Justin basically like Justin Algar got screwed over by AJ Allmendinger. Um, Justin Haley um, messed up at the first part of the race and ended up uh, having to uh, take a last place finish. And Daniel Hemrick has just had not a good year. Uh, this year in the all-star car for JR Motorsports. Um, uh, and so Ross Chastain also didn't have a good day. Um, for the most part, I mean, it was basically just the, you know, the Austin Cindric show. Um, it was a good battle between him and Briscoe in the mid portion of that stage. And, you know, he was complaining about uh, uh, Chase Briscoe blocking him uh, throughout the uh, last part of the second stage and he was playing on the radio and that was I guess maybe the more compelling battle that we saw um, in that race and maybe in the whole weekend I, th- I thought maybe that was the best battle for the race lead overall but I mean it was a entertaining race throughout um, but um, that's what you would have expected to see on Sunday I think yeah you would have hoped for that on Sunday but then it kind of shows what having less arrow and less reliance on downforce and all that does in terms of and more horsepower too. Um, I think the horsepower numbers, I think are pretty similar between Xfinity and cop, even with the 750. Uh, yeah, you, you gotta look at it. I think the cutoff as it stands, because Phoenix is the finale of Martinsville as the, the the cutoff race on the one round, I think it's a three-round deal for both the Xfinity and the trucks instead of four rounds. Uh, the, the last race of the regular season, I think, is the Bristol race, uh, which originally was going to land with college football. I think it will still because it's the SEC. Um might interfere with some SEC games, but uh, but there will be a few fans there at Bristol uh, for the Brist the the night race, the the and that'll be the finale. There'll be two Richmond races, which will be nice, Darlington and uh, Daytona. Those are all their lead ups to Dover. I mean, Gumby going and winning a road course race is not unexpected. I think the point you made, Josh, is quite uh, uh, accurate uh, in terms of where I think the luck and kind of thir- it's kind of worked out in his favor. You you had Chase having uh, Richard Boswell not being on the box for a while. It worked in a sense that he was able to win some races, accumulate a lot of points. He had some misfortune, didn't have the best cars once Boswell and him got back together. Uh, but 
you look at the way Chase ran for the first part of the year, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. If Sindrick ever kind of gets knocked off this heater, you wonder what's going to happen. Um, he's not known as a super speedway racer. His performance at Darlington in the first race wasn't compelling. He's never really been known as a short track guy as well, which all those things are in the favor of Chase. You also consider Stuart Haas puts a lot of emphasis on doing well at some of the oddball tracks, which Dover in its own right is. Um, And then Bristol was in the first race they had there. It was uh, uh, cocaine Gregson, uh, you know, um, sexual deviant Gregson won that, but Briscoe was up there, and I don't remember what Sindrick was doing. So, to be determined, we will see. I mean, obviously, the cutoff being the Charlotte Roval in the first round definitely suits uh, Sindrick, but the first winner of the Roval was Chase Briscoe. So, it... The the one thing I want to say is for Mike Harmon and for people who think Mike Harmon's worthwhile, um, you can go fuck yourself. Uh, the fact they left those two pieces of shit on the racetrack to go and ruin the race, uh, which is basically what happened, because Briscoe had beat Ch- Sindrick, and Sindrick was, was whining like a little bitch. He sounded like Martin Truex on the radio or Kurt Busch or Kyle Busch or whatever, or Will Power, and got raced hard. The guy who's ran over Kaz Graal and other people to win races got raced hard and he threw a bitch fit. It's like, you motherfucker, your dad owns or runs Penske Racing. You never had to worry about anything in your life. Your mom's a freaking daughter of, of, uh, of Jim Truman. So you've come from money, you fuck. Shut up. The fact you're winning in a 22 car is less about about him than it is about, you know, being able to be in the right place in the right time and also having a modicum of talent to go and be able to wield the dang thing. And it's only taken him three years in an Xfinity car to finally figure that out. Um, yeah, he goes and wins because those two dipshits uh, ran ran into the ground and had no business being out there in the front. Um, I hope Chase sends one of them into the fence really hard with that inbred. With he's gonna the problem is he can't even wreck them this week because they don't even have their cars because that that freaking insurance fraud wannabe Ron Jeremy fuck went and had his truck stolen with the cars conveniently. Uh, that that seems that seems uh, questionable, but then it's Mike Harmon. It wouldn't it wouldn't be Mike Harmon if it wasn't questionable uh, decision making, and then his cars getting stolen. Uh, they'll be running. They'll still be running this weekend at Dover for whatever that's worth for you people who think that they're worthwhile and they're legitimate. Um, if you do, you probably aren't listening to this, but whatever. Um, the I'm just gonna go through the top ten before I go and lose my shit further. Cindric Jones, Brockshot Jones, Gregson, 
Almendinger hit everything but the lottery. But, um, yeah, two Smurfs yelling at each other, as you said, Josh. Him and, him and uh, whatever, Allgaier arguing about who was going to have the last Keebler cookie. Um, you know, Austin, what is it, A.J. Allmendinger doing his usual choke job on road courses. Uh, same day as uh, his wife, his smoking hot wife, went and lost Mrs. North Carolina to Mariel uh, Lane, Mariel Swan. Uh, so Paul Swan is uh, one of Austin Dillon, who's a, another inbred dipshit, uh, got COVID because he's a retard um, and allowed that seventh place finish for Kaz Grala to happen. They're... Paul Swan's one of the pit crew members on the three car. His wife is a smoking hot babe who used to be a monster energy girl. She won Mrs. North Carolina and the second place finisher in that was uh, Tara Almendinger, who's uh, AJ Almendinger's uh, second wife. So his first wife was in Playboy, Dr. Lynn Nikairo. Um, this is the kind of information you get here on the Grip Strip podcast because. I have a freaking steel trap memory for hot chicks. And considering Mario Lane was also a monster energy girl too. That's another reason why I, I, I know about that. And then everybody knows who she is. Oh yeah. Well that there, there's one of the only perks of Instagram. I'll tell you, she's, she's a gorgeous woman. I'll tell you. Oh man. She's a smoke show. Paul Swan. She did right. He definitely hit, he hit it hard. He hits it hard, and uh, he hits it right in all the right places. And whew, I do miss the Monster Energy girls, I'll tell you. But um, yeah, AJ Elmeninger, he fucking hit everything but the lottery. Andy Lally and the Apache Stoves throwback for our Motorsports, a top five. Clements top 10 finish big deal there I mean they're, they're not the top 12 is basically determined unless some real nut nutty thing happens Riley Herbst and his no talent somehow or another got a top 10 with Harrison Burton uh all guyer yeah he definitely had a chance to be up there Myatt Snyder getting a top 10 big deal him and Ryan Sieg the pseudo teammates now 10th and 11th Josh Balicki heads up to him with BJ McLeod getting a, a 12th place finish there. Road course veteran himself. Um, yeah. I mean, Earl Bamba, as uh, I was, I kept on tweeting it with the hashtag in the way that Lee Diffie would go and pronounce it. He, um, he definitely had an interesting day driving the RCR 21 car and ended up ripping up the front end of his uh, Chevrolet there. You had uh, Brandon Godovic started tailback, was up further than where he ended up in 28th. He was much better than that. A road course veteran. Chase Briscoe won the second stage, should have been in a position to win. Of course, you knew the caution was going to come out late. It's the same thing that happened in the cup race, happened in the truck race too. Um, but that last restart was just bogus, or next last restart was just bogus and total clusterfuck. It reminded me of Cole Witt on old tires, staying out 
at the finale at Homestead and causing a huge wreck, which ended up determining the championship. It, it was similar to that. And when you consider that Chase lost, what is it, based on stage points, he lost 30... He lost 37 points there, and the current gap is 48. So he was only 11 points behind coming into this race. He lost 37 points in one race because Sindrick basically won, did the Grand Slam himself. He could win both races at Dover, win all the stages. It might it might make a difference, but the regular season title, 15 playoff points out the door, uh, which is a shame, but, uh, we will see, can't totally dismiss it. We'll see what happens going to Dover for a double header. So it'll be endurance is going to be a big key for these guys running 400 miles at, uh, Dover this weekend, both Saturday, two 200 mile races before the cup race, uh, Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, Truck Series, Sheldon Creed, and you, and uh, Brett Moffitt end up uh, finishing 1-2 at Daytona in the Sunoco 159. Uh, we'll go a little deeper in the result here. Is Raphael Lassard for Kyle Busch finishes third, Matt Crafton. Finishes fourth, Austin Hill in the Dan Gurney All-American Racers TRD throwback. Finishes fifth, Ankrum sixth, so three GMS trucks in the top six. Enfinger, Kligerman, who's a road course guy. Scott Legacy Jr., uh, noted uh, family with the road racing. And Stuball, who I think sent somebody into the into the woods during the race. I think everybody got hit during that deal. Um, the truck race was a precursor to the cup race. It was on same time as Indy. I don't know. What did you take away from Sheldon Creed getting his first full race win of his, uh, truck series career? I mean, yeah, it was a good race for him and definitely, um, Finally, he wins the race legitimately on, on his own merit, and to do it at the road course is good for him. Uh, I would thought that maybe Alex Tagliani would have um, done a little bit better than what he had done, and I, but I think it shows that you also have to have seat time in the truck beforehand and that you got to um, be in a contending car at least, but... Uh, I mean, it was a. I felt like it was maybe more similar to the truck or to the the cup race in terms of action compared to the Xfinity race. Like, if if you were to say which race was it more similar to, um, I thought for the most part there uh, it was fairly clean. Uh, you know, there was there was a little bit of um, action, but it was mostly just because of of cars being you know like stalled out after a spin um, and that sort of thing. Rather than just uh, um, you know wrecks and stuff, which is what we saw on Saturday in in uh, that race, but for the most part it was fairly clean um, and good amount of lead changes throughout. And it was, you know it ended up being a battle between Creed and and Brett Moffitt um, and 
Creed was able to pull it out there at the end, and he just just had a good restart at the very end of that race and on the green-white checker and was able to hold off uh, Brett Moffitt. So good for uh, Sheldon Creed uh, to go out and win that race. And um, interesting interesting deal with, I think, with um, uh, Zane Smith or um, whoever it was, the car that had their um, truck roof caved in or something that I saw on Twitter um yeah they, yeah the yeah. cameras didn't catch that at the end um um which is expected especially with the uh, limited camera work in this um pandemic deal but i mean for the most part I, I thought um for the truck series considering the um experience level at at the road courses relative you know to how the diversity of the field in terms of like their skill level not saying that the truck series drivers are not skilled but you know out of out of the three series you know they it's um a lot of up-and-comers and and, uh starting parks and then you have your handful of veterans and all that like i thought it would be more more of a wreck fest like the xfinity was but um ended up not being quite the case and um it was probably a balance between the xfinity series and what we saw later in the day in the cup series yeah, absolutely. You're, you, Sheldon Creed definitely had damage on his truck, and he was still able to make it happen. Brett Moffitt's truck was destroyed, which didn't help him in terms of straightaway speed. Uh, when and if it would have been worse if it didn't have that Mickey Mouse chicane before the start finish. Uh, but for Sheldon Creed, he dropped the S-bomb on TV. He's Robbie Gordon's protege, and he reminds me his driving style and the way he is and the way he just handles, you know, media. And he's he's literally like Robbie Gordon 2.0. It's just a case of whether he'll get the opportunity to, to prove himself and get into a top-flight cup ride eventually because it's not because he comes from money. He knows how to win, though. He ran stadium super trucks and won multiple stadium super trucks titles. So he knows about road racing. He knows about yaw, and he knows about having to make something handle, even though truck series vehicle, as it is right now, is very stuck. Though, if you get on the left, right rear corner or left rear corner, it could get really loose. Um, there are certain people that are out of their depth, during that truck race and probably should stick to running short tracks before they get to, um, of age and stuff. But, you know, Zane Smith got, uh, the caved in, like I, I ended up, I think sharing it. I saw it. I'm like, this is weird. And sounded like Natalie Decker's truck ended up on his roof. Um, so, you know, if you're going to get, get sat on, I mean, with a woman i don't think that's the way you want it to happen but zane smith uh you know he was nowhere all day he had the pole and he was nowhere lost uh some ground in terms of the regular season points because in the truck series it's definitely a lot closer which makes uh austin hills likely a regular season points championship uh, a much better scenario because he's going to end up having the points lead by you know it'll be about seven eight points over Sheldon Creed who has two wins uh, Grant Enfinger will be up there with two wins 
and then from there you'll have everybody else. It's ten drivers between Tyler Ingram and Derek Krause is five points. So two out of those three will make it as of now. Uh, you have Enfinger, who's definitely in. He's 23 points out of that. Um, Crafton's ahead of all of them, and he's got one win. So right now, as it stands, Eckes, Rhodes, and Moffitt haven't won a race yet, but their point situation basically puts them in a place where they're going to be able to make it in. Uh, we'll go to the roundup here, the GSP roundup. Goes over all the world's uh, racing here in a few minutes. The first uh, thing that we'll go over is the MotoGP race at Austria, which saw a massive wreck with Johan Zarco finished on the podium the week before and uh, at uh, Brno, and then uh, Fa- uh, Franco Morbidelli for the Patronus team, a huge wreck uh, almost hit the Yamaha duo of Rossi and Maverick Vinales, who ended up uh, dropping anchor. It was a nightmare race for both uh, Maverick Vinales and uh, for, uh, for the points leader Fabio Quattararo, who who ended up uh, having a basically throwaway uh, race there. And it's it, it was definitely a crazy deal. It was definitely one that they've made a lot of effort to go and show, kind of like NASCAR, like to show the Ryan Newman wreck a hundred times this weekend. Uh, it was nauseating. Uh, Andrea Vizioso, who isn't going to be back at Ducati, uh, won at at the Red Bull Ring again. Um, Joanne Mir, Jack Miller, who's going to be one of the factory riders next year. Brad Binder, after a brutal start uh, following up his first career win, gets a fourth place. Rossi in fifth. Nakagami, sixth. Danilo Petrucci, seventh. Quattararo. Um, goes and uh, makes up for his poor performance and gets an eighth place. Iker Lakawona and Maverick Vinales in the top ten. In terms of the point standings, Quattararo, two wins, a seventh and an eighth place. He's 11 points ahead of Davizioso. Uh, Maverick Vinales is third, Brand Binder fourth, Rossi in fifth. So that's MotoGP. They'll be running a second consecutive race at Austria this weekend. Supercars, uh, V8s, they ran at Hidden Valley last week for the uh, V8 supercars. You have you know, Scotty McLaughlin. Ended up winning one of the three races there at Hidden Valley. Um, And you had Jamie Wincup win race three. Uh, Race two was Anton Deep, or race, yeah, race two was Scott McLaughlin. 
race one was Anton Di Pasquale's first career V8 Supercars win. So good on him. He did a great job during the sim season, uh, which was the best sim deal, I think, amongst all the major uh, racing series. Uh, uh, credit to Anton Di Pasquale. So Scotty McLaughlin right now leads the points by just over 100 on Jamie Wincup, going for championship number eight for Wincup. He's like the Jimmy Johnson of the V8s. Chaz Mostert in third. Shane Van Gisbergen in fourth, and David Reynolds in fifth. You got uh, going back De Pasquale's in twelfth there uh, for the V8s. And let's see, so you got World Endurance Championship. The Toyotas dominated. Uh, the GT battle was a little bit more compelling for the uh, GT Pro, GTM. A little more competitive LMP2, which is a precursor to the 24 Hours of the Mop, which will be happening in just over a month's time. Uh, so for those who love World Endurance Championship, that'll be coming. But Toyotas are definitely at an advantage, even with the um, success ballast that they have. The only car that's kind of on pace in a sense, not really, but is a Rebellion in their last, what will end up being their last race, so we will see what happens with that. Um, Formula E, Antonio Felix da Costa wins the, what is now the Formula E World Championship. Uh, if he was a Formula One prospect for years. IndyCar had uh, some feelers on him. He gets a Formula E Championship, keeps it in DS to Cheetah's uh, house for Citroen and all that uh, moving into a new Formula E year probably later this year or probably starting in 2021 they ran their last I think six races at uh, Berlin and uh, hopefully they'll be able to go back to regular schedule God willing with people social distancing wearing a mask and all that thing uh, IMSA this week will be at VIR for uh, I think it was a GT only uh, race at uh, VIR. Um, you got, uh, let's see here. You also have Super GT at Suzuka uh, running yet another race since their return. Hondas and Toyotas. Toyotas definitely at the front. Hondas are slightly behind a Nissan with the oldest car. With the GTR is definitely uh, in in up against it there for uh, competing for wins and championship and whatnot. Uh, GT300 is much more diverse. Yeah, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship uh, Michelin GT Challenge will be strictly a GT only, so it'll be 20 cars, six GTLMs, the three. Three teams, Corvette, BMW, and Porsche. Uh, then you have 14 GTD cars with the two AIM Vassar Sullivan cars, which have been the dominant figures. You got a couple of Acuras there. You got, some, got a Porsche. 
Ferrari, McLaren, and a BMW M6. So that'll be an all right, interesting race there at uh, VIR for the um, Michelin Sports Car Challenge. BTCC will be at Alton Park as well. Try to see if we can get some more details on that for next week's episode. So before we leave, we will go into Dover uh, this weekend, which will be a busy weekend for the NASCAR teams. There will be a truck series race on Friday afternoon the KDI Office Technology 200. Um, Josh, we'll uh, start with that. Uh, Who do you look for to uh, win on Friday night uh, or Friday afternoon and um, possibly put themselves in the playoffs if they haven't won? Well, uh, I feel like it's probably more likely that somebody who's already won this year or um, somebody who's done really well but hasn't won this year. You know, I don't think we're going to get like a, you know, somebody completely out of the blue who's won. I mean, I would probably be willing to say somebody like uh, Brett Moffitt could win uh, this year or or, uh, this race. Um, And even somebody like Christian Eckes, who's been solid uh, recently um, as of late and, I think some somebody like that I think could end up winning. It would you know be his first win. He hasn't won yet in this series, but um, I could see that happening. Um, I mean, probably your usual players will be up there, like Austin Hill and Sheldon Creed, most likely. Um, you may even see somebody like Matt Crafton uh, contend for the win. Um, but it should be an interesting race uh, this weekend at at uh, Dober for the truck series. Um, uh, expect probably towards the end, lots of cautions. Um, it's the cron- concrete monster after all. Um, and you know how, how it goes at concrete tracks. They start wrecking up, up top and then they make it uh, down to the bottom, a self-cleaning racetrack. Uh, we'll definitely have to see how it goes. But I mean, I think, I mean, if I were to pick a, a, a race winner, I'd, I'd probably go with probably um, Brett Moffitt. I think he's a solid driver and could get it done at Dover. Yeah, definitely a solid pick there. And I'll uh, go with something you mentioned there in terms of a winner. I think Christian Eckes finally gets over the hump. He's been relatively consistent this year in the 18 truck. It's been a lot better than what Harrison Burton did in it. Last year, he's been close a couple times to wins. I think this is the moment he finally gets that first truck win and solidifies his spot in the playoff. Um, you got some solid dwellers there. You got some people. Uh, recent guest Dawson Cram announced that he won't be back with Long's Motorsports in the 55, but as it shows right now, he's in the event at uh, Dover in that truck. So I don't know how that's the case, but I guess I'll find out and maybe we'll have more details on Friday after the race because I'll be going, we'll be doing our Indy 500 preview. Um, Outside of Moffitt or 
Ekis. I mean, it, it, you can't really go wrong with either Crafton Hill. Uh, I think Johnny Sauter is somebody who's an outside candidate that he's run well at Dover before in all series. I think that's an opportunity for them to go and make something happen. But we will find out on uh, Friday afternoon, weather permitting, because it is the Northeast and it's the summer. So we will see. Uh, the next thing is there's two double. There are two. Yeah, two double. Yeah, there's a double header for Xfinity. They're calling it the Dry Dean 200. Uh, both, both races. In terms of the uh, point situation, Josh, who do you look at as a more likely scenario to go and pull off the win? Is it Sindrick or is it Briscoe and why? Well, I mean, last fall, uh, Sindrick finished in third place um, at, at this race, so he, he could be a good pick. But I'm going to go with Chase Briscoe here. I just feel like this is a kind of a could serve as like a, a get right weekend for uh, his team and, you know, being a double header and having the opportunity to, you know, win both races and even potentially the stages for both races. Uh, I think it's a good opportunity for uh, Chase Briscoe to um, get back into it and maybe um, chomp into the bit of uh, Austin Sindrick's points lead. I mean, as far as why, uh, I don't know. I just, for some reason, I just feel like maybe Chase Briscoe could be a, a better uh, driver at Dover than Sindrick. And I feel like this type of track probably suits uh, Chase Briscoe's driving style a little bit more. And definitely, um, I think they'll give him the car to sh- uh, showcase that ability. So I think I'll go with uh, Briscoe for this one. Well, I like the sound of that personally. Um, can't really, when you consider a Cindric's won five out of six races, you can't no sell them. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll also mention Gregson, who's shown a a way to win on these concrete tracks and perform relatively well. I think temperature and how bad the Badger tires are good, the Badger tires are, will will determine the uh, events and who wins. And it's it's a, we're getting to a point where there's some drivers that are that are on the inside, whether it's Sieg, whether it's Brandon Brown, that are really tight in terms of making it. And then you have some people that are outside that could win but it's very unlikely the gibbs cars always run well at dover so you have to give them consideration harrison burton uh who hasn't won in a while brockshot jones uh even riley herp so we'll see about that you know i think the colleague crew they need a win for ross chastain to really give him a little boost after uh, justin haley won uh, his race earlier this year um, we'll go into the Cup Series, two races. They'll be running the Dry Dean 311 twice. Um, 
so it'll be a little less than uh, it'll just be a little more than 90 laps to go relative to a regular um, uh, race at Dover. Uh, what do you think, Josh, for winner and a dark horse? Yeah, I think for a winner, I'm I'm going to go with Martin Truex. Um, I think last year you know, he won the the first race at Dover back in uh, June 2019 or May 2019, and this year in the fall he finished second, and he's been a winner at Dover before that when he won in 2007, um, his first career victory there. So I, I think, at least for the first race, I think uh, I would go with Martin Truex. And, and in the second race, uh, I would go with maybe Denny Hamlin if Martin Truex doesn't win. Uh, he's also got a solid record, I feel like, at Dover. And I think a dark horse candidate that you want to watch out for is um, – this is going to be a little in left field too uh, just because um, this driver has been off – um basically since uh charlotte in may and that's alex bowman and the reason why i say that is because last year he was he led a lot of laps in the the first over race uh, and then ended up finishing like fifth or something like that or or fourth or something like in in that range and then in the fall over race he finished in third place and so i feel like he's got a, a solid enough record and if they bring back um that same setup or that same car, uh, I think they'll definitely maybe help turn around his performance. I mean, I don't know if he'll actually win, but I mean, I definitely think he'll be in that top 10 or even top five range uh, when he finishes the race. Um, and I mean, I'd also even look out for Chase Elliott. I mean, he led uh, the most laps, I think, in the, the first over race last year. And I think as long as you're in clean air and or, you know, you're in that top five, I think you'll have a, a good chance to get a good finish uh, throughout the day, and you won't um, you won't be falling out of the top five or um, anything like that um, throughout the course of both races. Yeah, you're right about Chase Elliott leading the most laps on the first race there. Alex Bowman definitely that's great. Uh, another one in terms of he finished second and third in both races at Dover last year. Uh, Larson had a 3-1. Now he wins sprint car races on the regular. Um, Truex, one of his 14 home tracks, uh, he's he feels there like he can really do what he has to do. He's done uh, good work in Xfinity, and then he became he won his first career cup race on the day that Bill French Jr. passed away. It was a Monday because of the Sunday rain out. So, Dover would be a good spot for Martin Truex and uh, the 19 team, James Small, who doesn't have a filter uh, to go and get another win. Uh, I would think that Kyle Busch or some of these other teams or people would push a little bit, but it bites you. So um, with that, we will uh, go into the uh, – we're going to have, first of all, before we go into final remarks, we're going to have the IndyCar series, the Indy 500 preview here on the GSP uh, coming up later this week. It should be out on the weekend on Saturday for consumption. Um, 
on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, and hopefully I'll get some other ones up there as well. Uh, Josh, what do you uh, want to promote in terms of your socials or things going on uh, before we uh, leave tonight? Yeah, I'm always follow me at uh, Twitter at JP Huffine. And then you can always follow me on Instagram, same handle at JP Huffine. Um, I mean, we talked about my iRacing uh, career in past episodes, and I made a little bit of a milestone. I finally progressed in in the uh, oval class, going from uh, C or from D class license to C class. So, awesome. open up some more series for me uh, to competing in uh, more cars and tracks to uh, to race on so um, it'll be better competition as well and we'll actually have cautions and things like that so it'll be a little more interesting and, and pit strategy as well so um, now it's going to start getting a little bit more real and I have to start thinking more like a, a crew chief as well because you know I got to think about the pit strategy and all that so that's in that's strictly what kind of cars do you get in terms of moving up into the C class? Is that the 87s? Like, give us yeah. a little, yeah. Yeah, like uh, the 87 race car is, um, is there. They have like a, so they have like a legend series, I think, where you race either the, you know, the 87 Ford or the 87 Chevy and you do all the, because the, um, iRacing has like the classic layouts as far as like, what they originally scanned back in like 2008 and whatnot. They have, you know, like the old Daytona, um, the old Phoenix before the repave, the old Michigan before that repave, um, Watkins Glen without the chicane. So the one when JD McDuffie crashed and, um, died in 1990 when they had to implement the chicane after that. Um, Yeah. 91. Um, uh, I mean, obviously I think, I don't know. I don't think old Talladega is on there, but I mean, it's basically like, like all the old classic um, I racing tracks that they race on. But then yeah, they also sport. have, yeah, they also have the um, uh, I racing truck series. So the the current uh, Gander Outdoors tra- uh, truck series uh, cars are on there, and they race on all the current truck series tracks for classy. And it has fixed setup, which is the whatever the default setup that you get in the game. And then there's the open setup where you, know, you can either find a setup online and base off of that or create your own setup. Um, and, you know, they have the IndyCar series, uh, uh, which I think is the oval track and road, road course uh, series. Um, I think even even the, the cup cars are, are available in Class C, but it's just like, Class C cup cars fixed and open setup, I think, and then you just keep progressing further. Um, so I, I think for the Indy cars, that's something I'll probably start looking in because you know, we talked about the open wheels 500 later this year uh, with yeah. our friend Tanner. So I think I think he said minimum you have to be Class C if I remember correctly. So I'll have to um, start getting into that and then get into the truck series for um, that as well, and then probably uh, start doing some road course racing as well, um, which. You know they have different tiers. They have the the oval class, um, then they have like the the dirt oval class, and then they have the dirt road class, and then they have the paved road class. And I've mainly been focusing on on ovals because that's kind of where I've um, come from from the video games over the years. Um, still trying to get better on the road course, but um, still, uh, it's a it's a lot of fun. And any anybody that's in racing 
uh, or into racing and racing video games to try it out. Yeah, absolutely. Just have to be able to get a good setup to go and really truly experience it and uh, follow Josh on his Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, he posts the videos and stuff like that. So that's uh, it's cool. I'm hoping one day I'll be able to have a setup as well uh, for this racing because it seems really competitive and get really fiery and you have to be focused. It's just like the real thing in a lot of ways. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Philip G. Matthew. I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, the WordPress site, philipgmatthew.com, which is one of the places where the Gripstrip podcast is distributed. It's also on Podbean and it's on Apple Podcasts. We're working on additional places to post it, uh, possibilities of moving it to a, a post on YouTube, but that's to be determined. Uh, we will uh, be uh, doing that and updating where we're posting all in the upcoming weeks. Give the F1 Grid Talk podcast to listen as well. George Housen runs a tight ship, great show. Uh, talks about not only F1, but the feeder series. Talking in circles for Clayton Caldwell. has been doing it. It's a family thing. Him and his brother started many years ago, and Clayton took it over once his brother got uh, hired by MRN. Um, if you want your NASCAR news, that's just strictly NASCAR. Uh, you'll get a great, you'll be well-versed in that. And uh, there's other people that we or we saw or were involved in with during uh, this past week, but we will come back later in the week with the Indianapolis 500 preview show, fully immersed show with Spencer Neff, um, and go over what's what's uh, going to happen at the Indianapolis 500. Who's going to win this deal? Uh, that we'll, we'll definitely get into that and see what goes on. Uh, for Josh, I'm Phil. Uh, stay safe. God bless. Be uh, wear a mask. Wear uh, do uh, safe protocols, six feet distance, and um, take care of yourself and your family. And uh, we will see you on the other side next episode on the GSP.